Welcome back in everyone to a fabulous new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a fabulous show to share with you today. Another great show that's the perfect way to kick off Women's History Month coming up. And joining us to talk to us about this great show, we have the playwright, Kyanne Douglas, and the director, Alex Keegan. They are joining us today to talk to us about their new show, Maiden Voyage, which is playing March 2nd through the 17th at the Flea Theater. Tickets and more information are available at events.humanitics.com. This is one, a fabulous venue if you've never been there. It's a wonderful theater in downtown Manhattan. And two, this is an incredible show. The story is absolutely amazing. So we can't wait to dive more into it and share it with you. So the perfect people to be able to do that is obviously not myself, but our amazing guests, which we will now welcome on, Kyan, Alex, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I am so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be diving into the show and this story. It truly is amazing. We were talking before we started. I just don't think enough people know stories like this. So I'm so excited that you're bringing this into the forefront. So Kayan, as a playwright, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Maiden Voyage is about? Sure, yeah. So Maiden Voyage charts the first all-female-led patrol on a U.S. submarine. And I think it's important to note that this has never happened before. So this is, in no stretch of the imagination, a, a historical piece. For context, the first time that a woman was even allowed to set foot on a submarine was in 2011. And since then, it, we've never had an, an all woman-led patrol. And yeah, and this play is really looking at where opportunity and marginalization intersect. And it's an examination of what happens when you're given an opportunity that you're that is not normally afforded to you. And you have this feeling that you need to be the best or better than. And you have to, and in that trying to prove yourself, how it has a potential to have you operate in inauthentic ways. And so looking at when you have to push against whatever the societal norm is, in this case, the patriarchy, how it becomes a response to that, and you're not allowed to just exist as your own entity, or an action is not allowed to exist independent of pushing against that societal norm. And just to also note that as we go through this interview, we, we I think we'll probably be talking along those binary words and, and terms, which is problematic in and of itself. But I, I do think the world, this militaristic world that we're living in very much operates along those lines. Absolutely. Good point to be making and a great story to be telling. So I'm curious to know what inspired you to write this story? As a playwright, I'm generally like very drawn to different worlds. It takes so long to really craft a story that I, when I, I'm like, where do I want to hang out for three years? In this case, it's been like five. I, you know, I generally don't want it to be a couch and living room. That's sort of like what our convention, my conventional world is. So like, what would be really cool and captivate me? Oh, a submarine. I'm also claustrophobic. So I felt like, why not make myself uncomfortable and put myself in that world and see what what comes up? Very cool. Alex, I want to bring you on now as the director. I'm curious to know, how did you come upon this piece? 
Yeah, Kayan and I did a like very early workshop of some scenes from the play, like long before I think it was a fully formed piece back in 2017. Is that true? I think. And we just gathered some actors and read some scenes aloud that started to give sense, give a sense of what this world would be, who these characters were, what some of the dynamics might be inside of this imagined First Navy Patrol by all women. And then we both went off to grad school and sort of had separate journeys for those years between. But when Kaim was applying for the NIFA grant that is one of the grants funding this production, I sort of re, I suppose, re came, came back to the piece and was the director on that proposal, which was really lovely and exciting because I'm thrilled by this world, I think. I share a lot of the same curiosities about what happens when, within, you know, historic missions or when one is put in a spot where you're expected to sort of, you know, I don't know, be historic or be epic in some way by virtue of this mission being the first all women's mission. I was really curious about how the dynamics between this ensemble of women might play out and how patriarchal influences might even be present in a space where in theory, patriarchy is far away, but actually like it really is right there with them in the submarine, despite it being an all women's mission. I was really excited by that. And I think generally speaking, I love hyper theatrical, weird ensemble plays. Like that tends to be where my directorial happiness lies. And this play really requires a lot of theatricality and inventiveness and use of space and in foregrounding of bodies and choreographic staging. And so all of those things collectively made me really excited to come back to the piece these now several years later um, to stage this, this first production. Fantastic. That's so fun, this journey the show has gone on. So sticking with you first on this, Alex, I'm curious to know, we're about a month away as of time of recording this from the show beginning at The Flea. What has it been like developing the piece? Yeah, so we had the great fortune. I mean, I think two things. Kyan and I have probably been meeting about this production of the play since like June of 2023. So there's been sort of an element of developing what this production will be, which I think has been really exciting and an opportunity to really flesh out what our goals and aspirations are for the production in this context. We chose the flea in large part because it is a subterranean space. You walk down into the Siggy Theater and it's like this tight, intense submarine space. And when we invited our design team on board and started imagining what the world would be, we thought a lot about like, how do we immerse folks? How do we make folks feel like they're both voyeurs to this world, but also sort of contained in it. And that journey of development, of getting to think, not just how does the play function on the page, but how does it function three-dimensionally and how might, you know, I don't know, consistent sound design, a sort of soundscape layer with practical lights, layer with a scenic design that feels both liminal and practical. How might those things meld to really foreground these women in space and bring the play to life? That aspect has been really exciting. And then when we dove into rehearsals, it's been really a joy to get to be with the company in space. We have a really wonderful cast and group team in the room who are really fleshing out, you know, these lines in the play between what's, you know, literal to the Navy and to the militaristic world, what's abstract to the theatricality and thematic explorations of the piece. And now we've just started staging. So we're sort of moving into a place of figuring out how the play operates 
it's mostly written somewhat in like vignette form. So how those vignettes sketch together on stage and how the design and the acting come together, we're at that phase like right now or turning into that phase right now in rehearsal. And that's been really delightful because the actors have offered so much already. The designers have offered so much and getting to sort of curate the joining of that in rehearsal room has been really a delight. And we've already made discoveries some changes, some shifts to the piece. So awesome. Man, how about you? What has it been like developing the work and seeing your words and whatnot get up on its feet? Yeah, well, just to take a, a little bit of a rewind back. So this this closed workshop with Alex happened many moons ago now. And so it, the piece wasn't completely written. So then in grad school, I took the time, I think actually before I started grad school, I sort of finished an outline of like the final arc of the play but I was still reading a little bit flat to me. So I worked with Kirsten Greenidge under a directed study at Boston University. And I sort of worked to chart the character arc of each of each character, as well as with the arc of what happens with the ship. And so I feel like that's sort of where we arrived at having this like, okay, this draft is ready to go into rehearsal. And then I actually was supposed to have a production with Fresh Ink Theater in Boston that was canceled because of the pandemic. So really being able to return to it now is like getting to actually see it up on its feet and with Alex is just like such a incredible dream. And so so now bring us to where we are today. Yeah, I think right now in rehearsals, it for me as a playwright, I'm kind of just now that I'm seeing bodies in space being like, wait, does this make sense? Have I forgot about this character for a long time? Does it make sense that this person is operating this piece of equipment and they're the ones responding to this line? Just kind of like oper like looking at the logistics of what's going on. That's kind of impossible to do when you have seven characters just living in your head and you're at home and at a computer. I think also the actors are so wonderful and will be so quick to be like, wait, what, what exactly am I doing literally? So like, I think as Alex mentioned this too, looking at like, where are we leaning into what's literally happening? And where are we leaning into what are like the theoretical ideas of what's happening or what's the feeling that we're trying to evoke? You know, if we were to go through the full commands of what it takes to get a submarine underwater, we would probably be there for 20 minutes, you know? So yeah, there, there are things that are literal and there are things that live in the world of impression and sort of getting clearer on sort of what, what the boundary is and where the crossover is, is sort of what we're looking at now. That's very exciting. I'm curious to know with all of this, is there a message or a thought that the two of you are hoping the audience takes away from the piece? And Kyan, can I start with you first on that? Yeah, I think I think I'm interested in audiences sort of confronting this issue of like how the inside get the outside gets in and how societal norms or toxic relationships with that, that can become part of who you are and that you could not even be aware of it and sort of just taking a look at it like sometimes things are or often things are more com complex than we really take the time to examine. So I'm hoping that it starts like a, a deeper conversation around that. And yes, I, you know, this, we are looking at this in the context of women, but I think that sort of the message of, it relates to other marginalized folks as well as like when you have to push against something or feel like you're better than, how do you, how do you reconcile that? That is wonderful, a wonderful thought to have audiences leave with. 
Alex, how about you? What message or thought are you hoping audiences take away from Maiden Voyage? Yeah, I would really echo what Kayan offered. You know, I think the play, the play demands a certain level of moral grappling and looking both like at this group, but then at oneself to think about like, how would I engage or respond or be present in a moment where I'm also being asked to like perform beyond the sort of upper expectation, like past perfection. And I think the play, I mean, I think often, I feel like I've said this a lot in rehearsal, I feel like often when these types of like firsts happen, like these first missions or the first, something that's meant to put a marginalized group in a space where they're suddenly being foregrounded. I think we like to imagine that those missions or those events will just sort of be bucolic and utopian and like joyful and that there won't be any controversy or strife within them because that's a nice, a nice way to imagine progress. And I think the play, as Ken already is mentioning, like asks us to grapple with how actually progress is perhaps more complex than that and how there can be moral ambiguities and ways in which these external to the outside in idea, these like external power structures and methods of training and in the context of the military, like literal, you know, framework, mantra, mission, et cetera, of the military seep into something that's like meant to be sort of feminist and epic. And it the play complicates that. And I think, I hope that the audience leaves sort of sitting with some of that complexity and the moral ambiguity that might that might be inspired by the play. And I think also, I mean, this is, and I feel like you already said this in your answer, but like, I think sometimes it's easy to think about these types of missions or like broad stroke political issues in binary terms. And I think the play invites a, you know, just a more nuanced take on this sort of big moment of progress for this imagined group of women. And I hope that it, to that end, inspires more nuanced thinking on multiple, on multiple fronts, perhaps. I don't have anything to add or shift to that. No, I mean, I think that that is, that is exactly what we're trying to do here. I mean, the only thing I'll add too, because we haven't really talked about this, is that there's sort of a generational struggle that's going on as well within the play with the captain and then sort of the rest of the sailors. And I think that that speaks to what Alex was talking about in terms of like how progress and how change happens. And I think we see that play out with the captain and then some of the younger sailors without giving away any. Spoiler. <laughs> we'll have to come to the show to see how all that plays out. Yes. <laughs> but I love that. I love a play that makes you sit in those complex emotions and whatnot. Almost that gray area, you know, where you can see both sides, but you can't land on one. And you're like, oh, I hate sitting in this. Well, you know, we're trying. We're trying. There's also <laughs> an aspect to the show that is like there, like an existential sort of nature to it as well, because there are like two kinds of patrols, one where you're actually carrying out and executing things like firing things. And there's also ones where that you're just sort of on patrol and watching. So I, I imagine that this submarine is almost like on this like infinity loop of watching, surveilling, patrolling, living in this sort of liminal space and living in that, which is sort of, I think can operate as a metaphor for this the space and the, ambi- the ambiguing territory that we're, that we're speaking of as well. Very cool. Well, my final question for this first part is who do you hope have access to the show? And Alex, I'm going to start with you first on this. That's a great question. You know, I think when I was thinking of specific groups in answer to this question, I feel like I personally really hope that 
and this is maybe an sort of evident answer that intergenerational audiences see it because I do hope it provokes an intergenerational conversation about how we think about progress, feminism, et cetera. It's more specifically, I think it probably will provoke interesting conversations amongst members of the queer community. I'm specifically thinking about women in the queer community in this particular context, but the community more broadly as well. And then I also would be really intrigued by how military how audiences with connections to military would receive the play i think cayenne has had many opportunities or some opportunities to talk with folks in the navy and the responses just to the the idea of the play have been have been honestly quite quite mixed and quite in some cases extreme so i'd be really curious to see how folks who either themselves were in the military or who had family friends etc engage with the play and what their their thoughts about it would be i think it would be very interesting that is wonderful well, just to speak to that, I think that part of what Alex was alluding to there was when I started doing research for this show, I, I had the opportunity to speak to sort of a very traditional military submarine guy. And when I started explaining what the play was about to him, he was like, I'm sorry, Cayenne, I just do not think that women should be allowed in a submarine. I just, fund, you know, I disagree with that. And I said, okay, like, but could you just tell me why you think that we can still have a conversation? He's like, no, absolutely not. And he hung up on me. So very, very strong opinions about women on submarines, just, just to share that. And then I had, had younger submarine consultant who, you know, does, who was very instrumental in actually helping me understand this world who of course doesn't feel that way, but yes, it's a, it's a wide range. That is, wow. That, <laughs> that's incredible. That's the world we live in yeah. it does not cease to fascinate me. Well, kind of with that though, who do you hope have access to your show? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was thinking about this question too, I have to say like it was very in line with what Alex said as well. Like, you know, I I hope that the queer community, particularly women, I folks that I think I did sort of say this earlier, but folks that are not part of that sort of like the standard white patriarchy, like I hope that this is an invitation and a piece for those folks to to be able to like feel at home in the audience and also very interested to see how a military audience would perhaps embrace or not embrace this play. second part of our interview we love to give our listeners a chance to get to know our guests a little bit more pull the curtain back if you will and i would love to start with our perennial first question which is what or who has inspired you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites and cayenne can i stick with you first on this question yeah, I mean, there are so many. I feel like as an artist, you kind of you you go through and you sort of like take a little bit from from everyone. But I would definitely have to cite the Queen Paula Vogel. You know, huge huge fan on all accounts. Susan Laurie Parks, Fornes, Rajiv Joseph, love Ayagawa's work. Celine Song, Tanya Barfield. Chizza Hutchinson, Robert Wilson, Wooster Group, also like some very, I'm also love like the Bengasons and their music and what they do. It's, 
it's Shakespeare. I'll say Shakespeare as well. The use of language. It's a very large opera, all different kinds of opera. Like I, I tend to sort of absorb and then I think it's somewhere in the consciousness. And then when I sit down to write, like probably like little things come up, but yes, those are a few. Some wonderful, wonderful names on that list, including I love how you refer to her as the queen, Paula Vogel. Absolutely. And I also love the inclusion of some newer names like Aya Agawa, who I'm a huge fan of. I have a wonderful story, if anyone is ever interested about her show, The Nosebleed. But wonderful names, wonderful inspirations there. Alex, what or who inspires you? Well, at the risk of sounding the same as Cayenne playwright-wise, I can also speak to Paula Vogel. I think, you know, I read first read one of her plays when I was, I don't know, 15, 16. It was one of the first times I read a play and could see it three-dimensionally, like see how it could be staged. And that, I mean, I was not at that time yet a director. I was a teenager in high school and I don't think I understood directing was an actual career, but reading that play, I was like, oh, I can see something. Or reading her work, I was like, oh, I can see something happening in space with people. And so that really unlocked the idea of directing plays for me. But to speak to some directors, I've been pretty heavily inspired by Sam Mendes, Marianne Elliott, Rebecca Teichman, Tina Landau, and Bogart and work on viewpoints and movement has been really seminal. And then also the work of Liliana Blaine Cruz, Will Davis, Tina Satter. These are just some folks whose work that feels always like so grounded in movement, so spectacular, so able to sort of move between elements of spectacle, elements of choreography, elements of really grounded forging of like human experiences on stage. Those types of directors really inspire me in there, whose work or who elements of whose work I try to bring into my own my own practice. Another wonderful, wonderful list. I some of my favorite directors right there. Just yes, absolutely. Thank you for that list. I would be curious to know what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Alex, I'm gonna start with you first on this. Oh, good. I mean, I think like the joy of it for me is always I mean, there are a number of things I guess I could say, but like there's a joy in getting to create sort of something out of nothing and I don't mean nothing as in like no script but the idea that sort of like we're starting with an idea that turns into a text or that turns into movement on stage that turns into something that's shared that sounds really basic but that I think for me is largely the joy of it and then I think something I don't know how articulate this will be but specifically about directing I think the director or I as a director feel I often have the real blessing of being able to sort of like sit with a piece being able to see backwards and see forwards at once so being able to be in a moment in rehearsal and like see where the idea was on the page for the playwright or for you know wherever the play came from months ago and then see what it like might be three-dimensionally on stage in the future being able to sort of like be in that in-between place and imagine forward while also thinking back while also being present with collaborators in the moment is I think like my most joyful place of thought because there's so much opportunity but so much also like opportunity to like hold grace and history for how the work or the story or whatnot is like coming to be created and then I think some of my happiest places in process and why I continue working in theater are in large part in those moments like in design conversations where the designers yes and preliminary research and suddenly bring in something that like really enlivens the world and that like gives room to play and then the moment of getting to share that with the acting company and say like this is our 
space or our sound or our, you know, the tools we will have to bring this story to life or some of the fun things we'll be able to play with, getting to see their excitement and watch them feed off of that and watch all those groups come together into one holistic production and or story. Like that's probably my part of my like greatest happiness, which feels tied to the forwards and backwards thinking, getting to like constantly be in a state of progress. I love. I love that. Love that. Kyan, how about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater? I I think my favorite part as a playwright is the interdependence of things as a producer, not so much, but as a playwright, I I love the way that theater is sort of like it's mini ecosystem and you can't do, we can't sometimes move forward unless like one department's moving forward or the other one's moving forward and how we're, we're all bringing together like people that are like experts in their own craft and field and then like watching everyone contribute and make something better than you could have ever imagined. And I think, you know, I, as a human being, I very much love alone time and I very much love the social aspect. So, so I like the working it out at the computer stage of things, but I equally love being in the room. And so, and, and that, that you don't have access to, I think, quite as much. So when those opportunities arise, it feels really exciting to be able to figure it out with other people. I think, you know, I truly feel like I can only get it to a certain point and then it can never really be what it's meant to be until I start, you know, working with the director, working with actors, designers, like in ter- in terms of like seeing what it what it can be and what it should be so I love like being like well this is this as far as I could go now let's make something even better and so that's the thing that's like super exciting to me wonderful answer a lot of fun there we've now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests and that of course is what is your favorite theater memory these are so this is participating in theater so there used to be this very teeny tiny opera company on the Bowery next to CBGB's called the Amato Opera and everyone would come together and work completely for free and put on full-scale operas basically in the basement of like the square footage of like a brownstone basically and so like we would do Tosca and Aida and Marriage of Figaro and there was one person doing the sets, Richard Trullo, and so and the, like the space that we would have would be teeny tiny to put on these epic operas. And I was in the children's chorus, and my mom put choreographed some of the dances. And then afterwards, we would all strike the set together. And Tony and Sally, it was like this older Italian couple, would make a big pasta dinner for everyone, and we would like all just sit down and eat together. And I think those memories I'm very, very fond of stick with me. I love that. That sounds amazing. Total new definition to theater's family. I love that. Thank you for that. Yeah. Alex, how about you? Yeah, this is one of my favorite theater memories of the past. I don't know, I guess now five five years in my last grad year of grad school which was like pushed back because of the pandemic so we had been on zoom and then we like came back in person and so production felt you know honestly I mean almost impossibly challenging as I think it did for everybody in the fall of 2021 but I was directing this beautiful play by Benjamin Benet and in the 
opening moments of the play, there's a stage direction that reads, that basically says a zucchini, a six foot zucchini has to grow through the ground. Like the stage direction is one little line and then like it's a new scene and the six foot zucchini is there fully rendered on stage. And that, you know, is like one of these delightfully impossible, wonderful stage directions that I crave as a director and also like how delightful to have a six foot zucchini on a stage, generally speaking. And through that fall, like as you know, we were also grappling with all sorts of COVID guidance and like, will this production happen? We were in so many meetings about like the zucchini and like getting the zucchini onto the stage, rigging the zucchini so that it like could emerge on the stage. How would it happen? And we were really fortunate to speak to the interdependence part of theater that Cayenne, you mentioned that like, I think we both love so much. This conversation about the zucchini like ended up being this really beautiful collaboration between a puppet designer the technical director, like a whole number of technicians at my grad school and like all design departments to like ensure that this like literally could happen on our stage because we were in a black box and like the stage was was basically like a raised floor in the middle of a black box. So like it wasn't as though, you know, you could like rig something into a wing. There were no wings. So we were like, how is this going to happen? And we figured out this way to like design this puppet that could like live inflate like a balloon through the floor. So it like wouldn't be there. And then suddenly it, it would come up through dirt. And during the beginnings of tech process, we had this moment where like the zucchini was finally ready to be tested and everybody was like so stressed, not about the zucchini, but about like COVID and like all these rules at school, et cetera. And we like gathered everyone together to try to diminish stress to come sit together in this black box and like watch the zucchini inflate for the first time. And so there were like, I don't know, a hundred or so people in this room, like sitting there waiting for the zucchini to inflate, which had just been this idea for so long and involved so much rigging and machinery and federal things outside of my technical grasp. And in this moment, we like sat there and they like hit go on the inflating thing. And the zucchini in its full six foot inflatable joy burst through the dirt and burst through the ground, like seemingly truly out of nowhere on this, on this really spare set in the middle of the space. And it was like one of the only times in that fall, I felt like I got to watch people from like every department of the school who had worked on this show, who'd been so like sort of down and stressed, just filled with like this joy and awe and excitement. And for the technicians, like the excitement that they'd actually done it for the designers, the excitement that the vision was like becoming imagined for the actors, the joy that they were going to get to be on stage with this thing that would like live inflate and be present with them. But just like the gasps and the shrieks and the cheering in that moment, I think has stayed with me because it felt like one of these moments of like, oh, this is why like doing something cool and spectacular on stage that feels like it's impossible and bringing to life a stage direction that like is a playwright's imagining and three-dimensionalizing it. Like this is why this is worth it. And it requires so much collaboration and it's so worth that final like, you know, 10 second moment of like, here's this thing that you think couldn't be real. And there it is live in front of you. So that is today's, today's favorite theater memory. I love that. Here's to zucchini. Like <laughs> that is amazing. I yes. love it. Thank you both for those amazing memories. Thank you so much for those. Do either of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? I'm so at, when I'm done with this, I'm, working on an abortion horror play with parody productions. So it's mostly development, but there probably will be a reading of that in the 
summer sometime. And then I'm also working on a Sloan Project Commission. I brought Marie Tharp, who is the first person, along with Bruce Heason, to chart the ocean floor. I, a lot of ocean themes, I suppose, and make a discovery which led to proving the continental divide. But kind of development things, TBD, will be posted on the website, on my website. Anything for you, Alex? Yeah, the play I actually just talked about in the zucchini, the zucchini story called Manning, it's by Ben Benet, and it will be having its world premiere that I'll be directing at Portland stage up in Maine, June 5th through I think 16th, this early this summer. It's a beautiful play. So definitely, I don't know, I hope many people come. And then also, I directed a theater works USA tour of Charlotte's Web that's out on tour. So for those who have small children in their lives want to see that a beautiful story. It's really a really touching sweet piece but it's will be all over the country from now until june 2024 so if it is in a city near you check it out but those are the two things wonderful well it sounds like we've got some things to keep tabs about regarding the two of you and that's a great lead into my final question which is if our listeners would love more information about maiden voyage or about either of you maybe they'd like to reach out to you how can they do so yeah, sure. I have a personal website that's just www.kyandouglas.com. And there's generally like a page, the last page of like what's up or what's up next. I've posted information about the show there that also links to the ticket link uh, or ticket site, as well as like other things that are coming down through the pipeline. And there's also a contact me form, which I get, which comes into my email. And then Instagram is brute, brute theater. So you can find me there as well. I feel like my answer is the same as Cayenne's, but I have a personal website, www.alex-keegan.com. And similarly, information about Maiden Voyage is linked on the news and upcoming page. And then I have a contact form there that also goes to my email. And you're welcome to contact me. And on Instagram, I'm at akeegan34, which also has often updates on things. Wonderful. Well, my aunt Alex, thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me today and sharing this amazing new show. I'm so excited to see it. I'm so excited that we've been able to share this with our listeners. This has been such a wonderful conversation. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us. This has been really fun. Thank you for having us. It's been such a delight to talk with you. Thank you. My guests today have been the playwright Kyan Douglas and the director Alex Keegan, whose new show, Maiden Voyage, is premiering March 2nd through the 17th at the Flea Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting events.humanitics.com. We also have some contact information for our guests, which we'll be posting on the episode description, as well as on our social media posts. But make sure you get your tickets right now for this great new work, Maiden Voyage, playing March 2nd through the 17th. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez, reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. 
And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.